How serious are you? We're all pretty, probably pretty serious about something. It may be a job, it may be family, it may be a hobby. But today, Pastor Rick kicks off our sermon series entitled, Are You Serious? Let's take a listen as Pastor Rick encourages us to be serious about our faith and challenge us to get serious about reading Scripture. Well, good morning. Grab a Bible, something to read God's Word from, and open to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. We're in a new series this year. Uh, kicking the year off with a series called Are You Serious? And uh, this came from a conversation we were having in the office. Our ministers are gathered around, and, and one of our guys said, Listen, I just want people to know we're serious about Jesus. And man, that began to resonate with me. It began to think, What does that mean? What does that look like? And, and to, to hear it verbalized, man, I'm just serious about Jesus. And uh, so that led us to this series. And today we're going to be talking about being serious about reading God's Word. We're going to be talking about serious about spiritual maturity and growth and serious being serious about impacting our world. Um, why does it matter? Why, why, why is pursuing Jesus so important? Well, in terms of church, this statement kind of sums it up. The maturity of the people determines the longevity of the church and the impact of the church. I'm going to say that again. The maturity, the spiritual maturity of the people determines the longevity of the church and the impact of the church. Now, this fall, I went to Nashville with my wife, one of our favorite cities to go to, and uh, we go up and listen to music. But I was saved. I began following Jesus uh, in Nashville in 1979, in the fall of 1979. I looked at my wife and said, I want to take you to where I met Jesus. And she said, okay. So we drive over to West Nashville to Park Avenue Baptist Church. At the time, 1979, 1980, Park Avenue Baptist Church was running 2,000 people. There were less probably than 10 churches in 1979 running 10, 2,000 people in the United States of America, and Nashville had one of them. And then it was alive. It was the first place where I saw people who were serious about Jesus. Been in church all my life. I want you to hear this, but I've never been around people who seriously pursued Jesus until I got there. Made me realize something wasn't true in my life. And so, man, I said, man, I want to drive you by. We drive over there, and it's gone. It is gone. The building's there. Actually, it's about three different buildings now because they sold it off and piecemealed it out, and it's got different names. And it just broke my heart. It killed me because I couldn't reconcile how a church who was having such a major impact when I was that age could cease to exist. And man, I came back and I started Googling what happened, you know. Oh, the community changed, leadership changed, all these different things. But here's what it comes down to. The maturity, the spiritual maturity of the people determines the longevity of the church and the impact of the church. And here's where we want to be. We want to be at a place where our people seriously learn about Jesus in order to seriously live like Jesus so they can seriously Lead others to Jesus. What would happen at your house if the most immature person at your house was leading your house? Some of you go, Pastor, they are. <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about this. That's a message to come, right? We'll get to that. But imagine that your 12-year-old was all of a sudden running your house with the emotional maturity, the physical maturity, the intellectual maturity of a 12-year-old, and they're running your house. Well, I just showed you what's happening at churches all over America today. People without spiritual maturity have been elevated to positions of leadership, quite frankly, because no one else is available. And what happens is churches begin to infight, and they begin to become concerned about things that don't matter. And you have a picture of the church today in America. 
We're trying to be a place where people seriously pursue Jesus. Take your Bibles, look at Psalm 1 with me, and read with me the first four verses, if you will, our first three verses. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Would you pray with me? Father, we're very grateful for the opportunity to be here today. Um, Father, this is a, it's a little, there's some anxiety that goes with the topic of seriously pursuing Jesus. Uh, Father, it makes us look at our lives differently. It makes us wonder, uh, Father, uh, whether we are seriously pursuing Jesus. We talk about God's Word today. Um, would you give us just a fresh insight into where we are and who we are? We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to ask you a question, and it's a very, to me, it's a very logical question. Um, this is one of the reasons I think some people outside the church uh, just get really frustrated with the church. Why, why should we be trying to convince people who say they are followers of Jesus to spend time in God's Word? Right? I mean, there's just some things that go together, right? There's no group of people out there going, yes, we're together, and we're trying to convince fish to love water. Because you're a fish, you're supposed to love water. Right? I mean, it would be unthinkable for a fish not to love water. How about this? There's not a group out there going, we're trying to get hungry people to eat. No, a hungry man always wants to eat. Now, there are groups feeding hungry people, but you don't have to make them want to eat. Why is it that the church is that place where people will go, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus. But we spend all this time and all this energy trying to get them to spend time in God's Word. And again, I want, I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying read. Because I understand the struggle. Some people go, man, I don't have good reading comprehension. I struggle with dyslexia. There's some real issues out there. But we live in a world with technology that makes us without excuse. You pick up the U version of Scripture. If you don't have it, it'll read it to you. There is no reason a person who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, should not be spending time in God's Word. It just logically doesn't make sense. Why is it so then? Why is it today that all over American churches, the majority of people who would tell you they love Jesus, follow Jesus, hope to go to heaven one day, spend zero time in God's Word? I have a couple of, of thoughts about that, a couple of reasons it may be true. Uh, number one, we sold a ticket to heaven and not a love for Jesus. A ticket to heaven and not a love for Jesus. So this is how I grew up. You may have grown up this way too. Man, you want to go to heaven? First of all, we're going to threaten you with hell, right? That's a good motivator, by the way. It is. <laughs> and all you got to do is walk down this aisle right now, put your name on a card, go through these waters, and you got a ticket to heaven. Your life basically doesn't have to change because you, you bought a ticket to heaven. That's a pretty good deal. Everybody should want that deal. But what we didn't tell people is following Jesus is about falling in love with Jesus. And I want you to listen to this because it's going to sound harsh. If you don't like doing things that are indicators that you love Jesus in this life, eternity with him will be hell for you. I want you to let it sink in. You go, well, I don't like reading the word of God. Heaven's going to be hell for you. Are you following what I'm saying? 
right? It's easier than saying, I'm not sure you're going to get there. Is it if you don't love the things of God and falling in love with Jesus in this life, how, how do you think that's going to be for all eternity? Well, it'd be horrible. Horrible. Second thing is we preached an unclear message, an unclear gospel. And our efforts to be fastest growing church and have the greatest number of baptisms or to find and fulfill someone's definition of success other than Jesus, we preached a very, very unclear message about what it means to follow Jesus. Which begs the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How about this? What does it mean to seriously follow Jesus? So I wrote this out. It's in your notes. Following Jesus means that my life changes because I have a new value system that I learned from spending time in God's Word, right? So how I view this life changes because I follow Jesus. I value things differently. I value you differently because I follow Jesus. I value my relationship with God differently because I follow Jesus. I value my money different, my time different. I value everything in life differently because I follow Jesus. I have a new value system. Where do I get that value system? I get it from God's Word. I learn about what God loves, what God hates, how to be like Jesus from spending time in God's Word. And there, I, I try to be super transparent with you guys, and I can overdo that. You know, I, I've told you before, I look down in the front row, a lot of times my wife's going, don't, nope, don't do that. <laughs> Too much. Um, so I asked her about what I was going to share because I value some parts of our family's privacy more than other parts. And uh, in 2017, in uh, February 2017, my first granddaughter was born. And her name was Marley. If you've been around here for a while, you know her story. If not, she was born with vein of Galen malformation. And that means she had just hundreds of, of aneurysms in her brain. She's had eight brain surgeries. Uh, we didn't think she'd live. Um, it, it was a really difficult, she spent months and months and months in the, in the hospital. Um, they told us she'd never walk. She did learn to walk last year. Right, she's, she's six now, but she did learn to walk. Uh, they said she'd never talk. She's got five words, a five-word vocabulary. And listen, you say, well, what do you got to be grateful for? Five words. Five words. But she never learned to eat. She's on a feeding tube to this day. And odds are she may never learn to eat because I've learned something, right? And this, this has a spiritual application, so hang with me. She became food-averse. You see, if you don't learn to eat when you're an infant, if you don't have that time where you learn to like food and want food, you become what the medical community calls food averse, and your food will literally repulse you. So I'm going to show you what this looks like. We take this little girl on her birthday, and we'll get a cupcake, and you'll take that good buttery icing that we could eat a tub of, and stick your finger in it and rub it on her lips, and she will fight you like a wildcat. I don't want that. I don't want it around me. If you start reaching toward her mouth, she'll fight you. We put vanilla on the tip of her tongue, and she will fight you for it. She doesn't want food. So watch how I'm going to phrase this. It's not that she can't eat. It's that she won't eat. Her system can digest food. Here's how bad it is. If she ever gets any downer, she'll throw it up. She hates it so bad. Here's the spiritual picture of that. 
Marley chooses not to eat because she never learned how to eat. And when she didn't learn how to eat, every day that passes increases the chance that she will never eat. That's a lot of our spiritual people. Man, we followed Jesus, began following Jesus, and we never learned how to eat. And we became spiritually food averse. The thought of spending time in God's Word every day. Man, we just can't even wrap our mind around that. Why would anybody do that? Yet we'll tell people, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, and we, we are repulsed by the things we should love. So here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm warning you of. Do not become spiritually food averse. The longer you go, the harder it gets to ever start. So there are are four benefits of spending time in God's Word. And I want you to think about this kind of like we do food, right? Somebody has to remind us why it's important to eat, right? Uh, Because there's some benefits to it. And uh, we have to be reminded every now and then. And there's some benefits to spending time in God's Word. And the first one is this. God's Word reveals God's character. We find out what God is truly like by spending time in God's Word. Nowhere else, nowhere else does God's character, who He is, His nature revealed like it is in God's Word. Now here's the problem with our churches today. A lot of us know more about God because of what we got from Disney than we do God's Word. We'll know more about the story of the Exodus from the king of Egypt than we will from God's Word. Alright? So I'm going to give you a little test. Let's be really careful with this, Okay? Don't wave your hand. I'm just going to give you the heads up. Don't do anything. You, you keep a mental marker. Don't raise your hand. I'm going to ask you whether these things are in the Bible or not. And we're going to see if we got our education from Scripture or Veggie Tales. Here we go. The phrase, this too shall pass. Is it in there or not? Don't raise a hand. Don't shake a head. Make your decision. Here's where this too shall pass comes from Mike Ditka of the Chicago Bears when he was fired said this too shall pass. Now I had after the last service a little lady ran up to me and she goes you know where it came from? Didn't come from Mike Ditka. It said it came from every time a baby swallows something and a mama says this too shall pass. (laughs) That probably preceded Mike Ditka. How about this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Mm, not in there. From a John Wesley sermon. How about this one? God works in mysterious ways. Not in there. How about this one? God's never going to give you more than you can handle. Not in there. How about this one? Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Oh, be careful. <laughs> Bible does not say that. Veggie Tales says it. Bible says he was swallowed by a big fish. Big fish. Here's the problem. There's only one place we learn truth, and that is spending time in God's Word. We get a true picture of the character of God from God's Word. For that reason alone, we should be spending time in the Bible. Number two, God's Word tells us how to relate to God and others. The Bible teaches us how to worship God, what God loves, what God doesn't like, how to pray to God. It tells us everything we need to know about a relationship with God, and it tells us how to relate to each other, right? Five of the Ten Commandments have to do with the relationship with God, and five of them have to do with the relationship with each other. The Bible, look at me, is a book about relationships. That's what the Bible's about. It's not a history book. 
It is a book about how to relate to God and how to relate to each other. And if we believe that we were created for a relationship with God and a relationship with each other, then we should be spending some time every day in figuring out how to do those well. Pretty simple. Number three, God's Word tells us. Or, I'm sorry, God's word rewires our brain. This is a good one. This is a good one for me. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So how does that happen? It happens as we spend time in God's word. As we spend time in God's word, we begin to think differently, right? So some of you are out there. This is a this week experience for me. Some of you are out there and you have struggled with the same sin forever. Amen? Wow thought I'd feel better about myself than that was kind of like two people. How many of you struggle with the same thing all the time? It's part of our humanity. So why is that? Why can't we get victory over it? And, and it hit me. It's 2 Corinthians 10.5. Bring every thought into obedience to Jesus Christ. So here's how I've been living life. I bring most of my thoughts in obedience to Jesus. But that's not what it says. I bring a lot of my thoughts into obedience to Jesus. No. I bring almost all of my thoughts into obedience. No. That verse says you bring every thought that you have into obedience to Jesus Christ. Then your life will start to change as your brain starts to change. You ever wonder why? You say, I'm never going to do that again. Never going to do that again. Never going to do that again. And you do it again. I'm never going to go there again, never going to go there again, and you go there again. I'll tell you why, because you went in your brain before you ever went with your body. Right? The brain has to be rewired. How's the brain rewired? It's rewired with the Word of God. And then number four, God's Word tells us His promises, God's promises. Theologian Herbert Lockyer found 7,147 promises in Scripture. Everett Storms took a year and a half, read God's Word, and wrote down every promise in it, and found 8,810 promises. So between those two numbers, you do a little simple math, you got between 20 and 25 promises every day of your life for you from God's Word. How many of them you think about today? Well, you can't think about what you don't know. Right? Now, I'm, I'm trying to illustrate to you. That's not the same 20 promises every day. That's 20 new promises every day. But you got to know them. And if I were to tell you, man, last night I snuck out. I took $100 bills and I put 20 $100 bills in your house and around your house. Are you excited about that? Well, you'd probably be so excited you'd leave. Because that's what we value. We don't value God's word. Listen to what Psalm 19 says. More to be desired are they than gold, even much more than fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honey comb. Man, we have a misconception of the word of God. So wrap all this up. How, how do we spend time? In God's Word. What does it look like in our lives? Well, I would tell you today, uh, if you haven't picked up the road reading plan, they're all over the building. They've made extra copies of them today. Uh, if you've got a phone, go to theroad.tv backslash road. Everything you need to know is there. In your worship folder on the back, there's a copy of the road outline of what we do when we read God's Word. We read together as a church. We are reading the Old Testament. Uh, Monday morning, we'll start in Genesis chapter 6. Jump on board with us.
But I'm going to give you some insight that might make it all a little easier for you. Four things, we'll move quickly through them. Number one, read the Word of God in digestible bites. So if we're talking about real food, nutritionists will tell you, don't take these huge, giant bites of food and force them down your throat. As a matter of fact, you could take a steak and you say, man, I love steak. You're going to pick that thing up and try to eat the whole thing at one time, and you're going to choke. You're going to have a bad experience so bad you may go, I hate steak. No, you hate great big old giant bites of steak. That's what we do with God's Word. Right, we try to do too much too quick. So here's, here's what you do. When you start reading Genesis 6, when God speaks to you, stop. You just took a bite. But you're not under compulsion. You're not under obligation. We are not reading to accomplish. We are reading so God can speak to us. So when he does, stop and write it down because God spoke. And that's pretty big. Secondly, read consistently. Right, you can't read, you can't live on one small bite a week. Nutritionists, again, would tell you take numbers of small bites throughout the day is the healthiest thing you can do. Well, the same way with God's word. We want to take digestible bites consistently every day. I'm feeding. I'm taking another bite of God's word. We should be eating something spiritually every day. Then number three, read to discover. Read to discover. We are not reading to cover ground. We are reading to break ground, the ground of our hearts. This is not about, hey, look how much I read. One of the things I hate about our Southern Baptist heritage is the stupid boxes we had to check growing up, right? I gave my offering, I'm attending, I read my Bible every day, and we became nothing more than spiritual box checkers. Right? We felt good because we checked the box. Well, it was never about checking the box. It's about falling in love with Jesus. It's about getting to know Him, letting Him speak to us. So what we're reading is to allow God to break the ground of our heart and speak to us to accomplish that purpose. Devil quoted scripture to Jesus, knowledge is not our goal. And if all we're getting, if our lives are not changing from reading God's word, then we are wasting our time. It is about life change, which is the last one. Read for life change. The last part of our little road outline is do. Read, observe, apply, and do. Uh, so we get, to, uh, we get to the end of whatever we read, Genesis 6 tomorrow. We ask the question, how my life going to be different because of what I read? Right, that's a big question. So let's break it down into smaller, smaller little segments. What did I learn about God in this chapter that I didn't know about God? What did I learn about me, humanity? What did I learn about sin? What did I learn about grace? There's all kinds of questions. But then what we do is we make a statement of how my life will be different because I spent time in God's Word today. How's my life going to be different? That can be a prayer. That can be a praise. It can be a proclamation. Thank you, God. It can be a proclamation of God. I drive a stake down today and my life's never going to be this way again. Thank you for what you've done in me. But we decide what we're going to do. And then there's one wrap-up statement and we are done this morning. This is it. The single most important thing you can do to mature spiritually is feed on God's word. If you do not eat, you will not grow. It's super simple. If you do not eat, you will not grow. Would you bow your heads with me? There are three responses I want you to consider today as we uh, wrap this up. Man, I would warn you. I would warn you against becoming spiritual food averse. 
that you hadn't eaten in so long you don't want to eat anymore. It's not that you can't. You just don't want to. In light of that, I'm going to offer you three responses today to consider. The first one would be this. Pastor, I've never read God's Word. If you ask me, did I love Jesus? If you ask me, did I follow Jesus? I would tell you yes, but the truth is, I, I have never consistently been in God's Word. And, and today, I'm going to take that step. And I'm tell you that this building is full of people who will help you take that journey. Our ministers will. Our connect groups will. But take the step to begin spending time in God's Word every day. Second response, Pastor, I started and I quit. But Pastor, I'll start again today. I'll start right where I am today. Because listen, I don't, I don't want to get to the place where I don't even want it anymore. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that follower who's not spending any time in God's Word. If I am a follower of Jesus, I don't want someone having to convince me that this is important. I want to be the guy who's in love with Jesus, the woman who's in love with Jesus. The third response would be if God has been speaking to you for some time about an issue in your life, and God has said to you, today is the day to deal with it, then this is your opportunity. Maybe that's that first step of your journey with Jesus. Grab one of our ministers and say, I'm ready to follow him. Maybe it's planting your family at a church and becoming part of a spiritual community. Maybe it's something that God's been calling your name about for a long, long time. Whatever it is, this is your opportunity and this is your moment. We're going to pray. A number of our ministers are going to be here at the front today. You step out if God has so spoken to you. Father, thank you so much for how you've loved us, what you've done in our lives. God, help us to be serious about you, knowing you and pursuing you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stay? Hey, thanks for joining us at The Road. If you'd like more information about things going on at Choctaw Road Baptist Church, visit us at theroad.tv or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theroadcrbc. Have a great week.